waiting for my 10 minutes to sit down. <laughs> my name's Tim Ayers. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, right? Uh, I'm so glad you were here, and Joseph, and you know, and uh, glad you're here, Joe. 29 days? 29 days, right? David, how much time you got? 33 and a half years. Deborah, how much time you got? Almost 32 years. Almost 32 years. Maria, how much time you got? 32 years. And what that says, what that says is that Alcoholics Anonymous works and Alcoholics Anonymous will work. And I want to welcome everybody out here tonight. You know, this is what's interesting about this. You know, I did, uh, I, I talked at this meeting last Christmas and I want to thank Ryan for asking me to do this. And, you know, the, uh, we started coming to this meeting, I, I don't know what it was, probably 18 months ago, maybe 19 months ago. And there was probably 15 people in here on a, on a, on a good night, right? And uh, we started to come to this meeting and people got serious about the meeting. And there were people with, that were here like Trevor and Kelly and they were, you know, keeping the lights on for Alcoholics Anonymous here. But, you know, just, you know it, we, we sort of wandered into this meeting because we wanted a place to go on Sunday nights. You know, and, and where we were going wasn't working. And, you know, so we wandered in here and uh, and this thing ballooned, right? This thing blossomed into uh, into a big meeting with over 100 people coming here every week, you know. And and I know what I know what it's like to be a, a speaker getter. Uh, I do that for the Saturday night speaker meeting at the Can Club. And, you know, and, and Ryan is uh, one of my uh, in my sponsorship family. And I know what he goes through every you know, every time he's got to find a speaker and he came to me and he said, you know, so hard to find somebody to talk on, uh, on uh, Saturday, on uh, Christmas Eve, you know, and will you come out and do this on Christmas Eve? And, you know, the same thing's true with New Year's Eve. I mean, last night at the Canyon Club, we had Jim Willard and Lynn Willard, and we had probably seven or eight, maybe nine birthdays, right? And the room was full and the vibe was in there and it was popping, you know? And then, you know, we get here and it's Christmas Eve and <laughs> crickets, <laughs> you know, and what I don't want to think is what I don't want to think is that the reason why there's that nobody's here except for you folks is because they found out that I was going to be talking. You know? I mean, that would be the worst thing in the world. And, you know, I know that's probably not true because Patty's here and Patty heard my talk here a year ago on Christmas Eve. You know, and Patty's doing what we have to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it doesn't matter if you, you know, it doesn't matter if she's got, you know, 10 years, five years, one year, or maybe she's got six months or whatever she's got. She kept coming back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And because of that, on Christmas Eve, Patty's sitting here stone cold sober. And that's the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Because what that is, what that is, is that's a demonstration of willingness, right? A demonstration of willingness. And, and this, uh, this group, right? This group has a fifth tradition purpose, right? It's got a fifth tradition purpose. And its purpose is to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers, right? Its message. And that's differentiated from the 12th step of Alcoholics Anonymous, which tells us as individual alcoholics that it's our responsibility to carry this message, the message of the steps, right? And this group 
This group carries its message and its message is they stopped in time, right? And if you read uh, the stories in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, you go through the, the 100, you go through the doctor's opinion, you go through the 164, and then you get to the stories in the back. And in the stories in the back, your first set of stories is the pioneers. You know, it talks about Dr. Bob and Jim Burwell. And, you know, there's a bunch of stories in there about the people that got this thing started. But then there's a whole section of stories in the back of the book and the lead into that story, those stories about those young people or those people that didn't suffer the catastrophic effect of their alcoholism. The section is called They Stopped in Time. And that's what they read in here as their third reading, or I should say we do, because I'm a member of this group too, right? They stopped in time. And the fella, one of the, I think it was Joe, he goes, where, where, where is, is that in the book? Is that in the book? And it is in the book, that reading. You know, and there's a, a, a part of my uh, journey through Alcoholics Anonymous involved uh, just a catastrophic financial disaster that was the direct result of my defects of character. And what that means is, is that I had problems with the Internal Revenue Service. See how I made it sound so much better than I just had problems with the Internal Revenue Service because they were catastrophic defects of character. Essentially, it was self-will run riot. And as a result of that, I had an opportunity presented to me to walk through the steps again. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I sort of got off on this. It's not really a tangent. It's the talk I'm giving you. And so what it is, because we started to talk about what's the purpose of this meeting, right? What's the purpose of this group? Fifth tradition, right? The fifth tradition. Our job in here, our group's job is to carry the message to the new person, right? Who maybe didn't suffer as hard as maybe they could have. Maybe they didn't suffer as hard as somebody like I suffered. You know, I drank almost to my 40th birthday and I know Deborah had a pretty good run because I've heard her talk and I've heard David's talk and it scared me because it involved a Rambler station wagon and washing cars in Westwood. Now that didn't happen to me and that sounds like a pretty dramatic bottom, right? Because <laughs> I didn't have to live in a Rambler station wagon. I get to drive a 2007 Toyota Yaris with 258,000 miles and I drove that car here. And I think that's humility. <laughs> Some people think that's mental illness. <laughs> so, right, it talks about, it talks about they stopped in time in the book. It's got some stories. But the root of that, the root of that idea is in uh, Bill Wilson's writings in the 12 and 12. And, and I was sort of talking about that. My journey, after, long after I got sober and involved this in, uh, situation with the Internal Revenue Service, I had to get busy in the steps again in order to be okay, right? And being okay is not taking a drink and not finding it necessary to kill myself because that's where I was at 16 years sober because I had created such difficult circumstances for me that I did not want to be here anymore, right? Did not have the strength, the character to take a drink and come back like so many of you brave people do, right? 
I just wanted to find the way out the wrong way. And that got me back into the steps through a, just a variety of circumstances involving my sponsor currently, Mitch B. Okay, some of you guys know Mitch, some of you gals know Mitch. Fantastic guy because he's all about working this program, right? Not building armies or, you know, having a lot of people who call him at 7 a.m. or at 8 a.m. or at 9 a.m. or at 6.15 in the morning because he needs you to kiss the ring, right? His program of Alcoholics Anonymous is singularly focused on taking people through the steps as a means by which to explain the process to them. Maybe they'll get some clarity on what needs to be changed in them and in their attitudes, as our friend Dr. Paul said in his story, right? I see we've already chased the secretary out. <laughs> right? And, and so, but what Mitch is about is Mitch is about taking people through the steps so that I can see what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. And then I have a platform from which I can take other people through the steps. And in the process of taking other people through the steps, then I get to see more of what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Because a lot of us have a lot of the same things in common. We have the same fears. We have the same kind of dishonesty. We have the same kind of selfishness and we have the same kind of self-centeredness. It might take a lot of different forms, but that's the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous because you can get to a place where you begin to understand that your bottom isn't your consequences. It's where willingness meets the absence of it. That the bottom is where willingness meets the absence of it where I put down the shovel and I reach my hand up to that man or that woman who's willing to take the time to walk me through so that I don't have to take a drink and I don't have to kill myself. And that's what Mitch Brantley did for me, right? And that's what I'm trying, you know, that's why I try and make myself available to guys like Nathan. Talk about a guy who looks great in a suit and a tie, I'm gonna put my hands together and ask you to put your hands together for me. I'll tell you what, it was easy to get him to stop drinking. It was almost impossible to get him to dress like an adult, right? <laughs> but isn't that the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous that we can laugh about this stuff? Because I'll tell you what, my situation was very desperate for a very long time when I was drinking. But I wanna read this to you from the 12 and 12, because we're still talking about the subject that we started on. That's like the tradition five aspect of this meeting. This is what it says on page 23 of the 12 and 12. It was obviously necessary to raise the bottom the rest of us had hit to the point where it would hit them, right? By going back in our own drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized it, we were out of control, that our drinking even then was no mere habit, that it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. And those were the words that Mitch brought to me as part of our first step exercise, because he wanted me to see something, right? And I didn't get to him for 16 years, because when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I just went to meetings and I didn't drink no matter what. And I just went to meetings and I didn't drink no matter what. 
and I just went to meetings and I didn't drink no matter what. And I was painting the rust. I wasn't doing any step work. I wasn't working with anybody who was new or anybody that was struggling or I wasn't doing anything. I was in this room, in the rooms, working on my three minute pitch. So I could go to discussion meetings and have people walk up to me after the meeting and say things like, hey man, I love your three minute pitch. And that was the extent of my program. And what happened is my defects of character took me to a place where I was literally lying to myself and everybody else about my behavior. And I was so desperately afraid that people would find out about my financial condition and the way that I was running my business and the way that I was reporting my taxes and the way I was paying. I was so desperately afraid of those things that I couldn't tell anybody. And so when the time came, when that notice came for the audit, for the tax, for the, uh, for the 2015 tax return, I was, I get choked up thinking about those people over at the IRS because they're like Santa Claus, man. They wanted to come down my chimney. <laughs> but they didn't want to leave anything. They wanted to take it all. You know, I mean, it was, I was scared to death, right? And uh, I, I just love this. You know, I, I, I'm going to, uh, because this is Christmas, right? And uh, I get to hear a lot of speakers because I, uh, I go to a Saturday night speaker meeting. I come here. And we had, uh, we had a, a speaker come out and he brought a 10-minute. And the, the fellow was talking about what it was like to be young for him. What it was like for him to be young and, and how afraid of he was. And, uh, and I remembered what that fellow said during that 10 minute talk. And I was walking through pavilions uh, earlier this afternoon and one of, the, uh, one of the checkers was dressed up as Santa Claus. And I thought, isn't that great? You know, you, finally I'm in, a, uh, I'm in a place where the, the, the people here are they're enthusiastic about Christmas and this che the guy checking groceries, he's in a full blown Santa Claus suit. And I said, Merry Christmas, Santa. He looked back at me and he said, Merry Christmas. And I thought about what that fella had said when he gave that 10 minute talk and how afraid he was when he was a little kid. I said, you know something, I know a guy, I said this to the Santa Claus fella. I said, I know a guy when he was five years old, he figured out that if Santa Claus could get down the chimney, then anybody could. <laughs> and he didn't sleep for days, right? And I understand that level of fear. I understand that level of fear. And Mitch, through the steps, because I'm desperate when I'm 16 years sober, I'm desperately afraid. Desperately afraid. And Mitch took me. So we did this first step exercise, right? Did a first step exercise. Some of the people in here have done that first step exercise. I know Dylan has. I know Nathan has. I Certainly no Ryan has. Nathan just gave me the thumbs up because he's done it. Oh, before we get moving too fast, I got to say this. You know, there is a strong possibility that Wyatt and Danielle are listening to this meeting. And I just want to wish them a Merry Christmas because they're on their way to San Diego to see family. And they would otherwise be here tonight. That's at least, that's the lie that uh, Wyatt told me. <laughs> 
and I and, what? <laughs> you know, but I know I know this about you know I had to do this talk up in uh, I I had to I got to do this talk up in Placerville, California, right? And I got to do that talk up in Placerville, California, because my dear friend Deborah Carmen suggested that I should go speak in Placerville, California. Now, the reason why she suggested that I go to Placerville, California to talk is because I think she got to talk in either Malibu or Bel Air at that same time. So, you know, I think I was just covering for her. But when I got to Placerville to give this talk, I met these wonderful people in Placerville, California. And I figured out that Placerville, California is really Wyattville, California because that's where Wyatt's from. And the people up there knew Wyatt. And I was playing golf with these guys and I was having dinner with these guys and these gals and they were, and they were so thrilled, so thrilled to find out that Wyatt had landed safely in the palm of God's hand in Alcoholics Anonymous in Southern California. So, you know, it, it's, we just, you know, we don't know what's gonna happen. We have no idea what's going to happen. I love Jim Willer's talk last night where he was saying, you know, I don't know that this seemingly negative thing, right? Seemingly a word that you see over and over and over in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, seeming, Willard talked about it last night, seemingly, right? Seemingly negative thing that turns out to be a positive, right? And Wyatt came down here and he got sober, you know, and he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing because he's smack dab in the middle and Danielle smack dab in the middle, middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I was, uh, I was talking to my uh, first wife today, my first wife, Elise, and she's in my story. I'm giving it, I'm having a completely different out-of-body experience up here right now because this is not the talk I usually give because I didn't want everybody to leave halfway through. But, the, <laughs> but I was on the phone today with my uh, first wife and the interesting thing is, is that she needed to go to detox on February 11th of 2002, right? And she called me up because she wasn't done yet. And I went down to see her. And the next day she ended up in detox, right? And I talk about that in my talk that on that day, a whole amazing number of things happened in a row that looked a lot like a spiritual experience because it was right. But I was on the phone with her today and, uh, and what happened uh, in the course of our life together is that I got sober on February 12th of 2002. And what that means is, is that today, right? Today's the 24th of December, so that means I got 12 days. <laughs> 10 months and 21 years, right? And I was taught to count that way by a guy out of the South Bay, Dave Barge. And Dave said, Tim, if you count your time that way, you'll be close to the people who are brand new. Now be close to the people who are just coming back. You'll be close to the people who are just coming back. Right. Because not everybody gets it the way I got it. I showed up at Alcoholics Anonymous, wanted to kill myself in 2018. Might have wanted to kill myself, you know, uh, two years ago. Could have been last night, but it wasn't right. Didn't find it necessary to drink, though, since the day I 
got sober. But there's a whole bunch of people that's not their experience. They have to go out and give it another try, right? They have to go out and give it another try. And I really didn't, that wasn't my experience, but it kind of was because I talked to my first wife today and we had this circumstance. We were kind of like in and out of a divorce and in and out of a marriage and in and out of the same house. And she rented this house and I moved back in. So I moved into the house she was that she rented down on Flaxwood in Irvine. And it was uh, late September of 2004 and I hadn't found it necessary to take a drink and I was going to meetings and I was painting the rust but I was going to meetings and not drinking no matter what and doing that and she was it was she had a shoebox full of newcomer trip chips even though she went to detox on February 12th of 2002 and I came home from work and I used to smoke back then and I opened up the refrigerator and there was a there was a half empty bottle of seven up and I don't like to see anything go to waste. And I was living with her and I grabbed that half empty bottle of seven up and I tipped that thing back. She was hiding vodka in that bottle. She was hiding vodka in that bottle. And I, I just got a little bit of it and I knew exactly what it was, right? And I had that flush, like, and I had this, voice that said you're off the hook you have an excuse you can drink and you can blame her and nobody will be able to say anything about it then i had this other voice and it was a lot like that voice on february 12 2002 that i didn't talk about tonight that voice when i went outside when she was getting ready to go to detox when i went out under that big palm tree at 19 tangle some of you know this story. I had that sense of being wrapped in a warm blanket and I heard this voice, not my own voice and not a voice from the outside, but this inner voice that said, it's gonna be different, but it's gonna be okay, right? And that was a spiritual experience on February 12th of 2002. And then on September 28th of 2004, where I just got a little bit in me, and there was this voice, yeah, you can run wild. There was this other voice, and this one sounded like Bill McGowan. And it said, we learn to recoil from it like a hot flame. And that, my friends, is an example of a spiritual experience. And that was September 28th of 2004. And on that day, I was so mad that I was done. And I was gone by November the 1st. I moved in, uh, I, I moved into a little studio apartment. And, and I really didn't talk to my, uh, I don't think I talked to Elise again for 15 years. 15 years. She is not found it necessary to take a drink since September 29th, 2004. The very next day is her sobriety day because she was so affected by the fact that she had placed me in harm's way that it gave her sufficient energy to propel her down the path of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And isn't that the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous? Because between February 12th of 2002 and September 28th of 2004, and for a long time after that, I thought, this person's never going to get it. This person's never going to get it. It's been over two years. They're never going to get it. Who am I to say that to anybody? And isn't that Dave Barge's simple message? When he said, Tim, if you count your time that way, you count your days first, you count your months next, and then you count your years, you're much closer to the person who's brand new, and you're much closer to the person who's just coming back because it's just as important that I'm available for the person who's brand, 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 brand spanking new as it is for the person, maybe even more so. Maybe even more so that I'm available for that person who's coming back, right? Because that's demonstrated willingness. Demonstrated willingness. The bottom is there. Willingness has met the absence of it because the person who's new again has found sufficient courage to come back in the room and suffer the internal terror of what are they going to think about me? I know why they took that drink. Because when I take the drink, the drink takes the drink and I'm off and running. And I don't, if you're here on Christmas Eve, you probably are here because you know you're alcoholic. <laughs> you passed the first step test. And so when I say, when I take the drink, the drink takes the drink, and I'm off and running, you know what that is. When I take one drink of alcohol, I'm absolutely positively going to lose all control over whether or not I can take that second drink. And that second drink becomes the third drink, becomes the fourth drink, becomes the fifth drink, becomes the sixth drink. And I'm blacked out one more time. I'm waking up in the morning. I'm going out to check the car. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the text messages, although we didn't have text messages back then, right? Because I'm so afraid what's coming. We used to call it, you know, you know uh, the telephone that had the cord. I would get on the phone at night when I was drinking and call my dad and tell him how unfortunate it is that I've been so I've been treated so unfairly by the world. <laughs> my friend Janelle calls that black cord fever because you know she had a black phone with a black cord and she'd get on the phone and tell everybody how unfortunate it all is that you people mistreat me all the time. And I would call my dad. And that's pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization because I'd wake up the next morning, check the car to see, you know, <clears throat> any debts. I have no idea how I got home, right? Where did all these receipts come from? I'm never going to be able to pay these credit card bills, right? And then the phone calls start coming. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. That's the story of my drinking pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And we don't have to get any more detailed than that. Because when I take the drink, the drink takes the drink, I'm off and running. And that's the allergy that's described in the doctor's opinion. And if you be alcoholic, then that happens to you. Happened to me all the time. Invariably, I would take the drink and I'm done. All bets are off. You know, where I land is, I have no idea. Then I got this other thing wrong with me, right? It's 
going to be different next time. I'm going to learn to control and enjoy my drinking. This time, I'm going to do it differently. I mean, I remember it was New Year's Eve, probably 1980-something, thinking, all right, I'm going to have this seven and seven before I go out. And when I get there, I'm going to drink a glass of water <laughs> or I'll have a soda and then I'll have another cocktail and I'll try and space the drinks and intersperse the sodas so that that thing doesn't happen to me again this time. And those consequences that I seem to keep forgetting you know, by Tuesday, right? Because Friday night's a terror, Saturday night's a mystery, and Tuesday, that's when I'm finding out what I did, and I got to get that out of the way. And what that is, is that's what's described in chapter three of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right? Right? That's all it is. <clears throat> I think it's going to be different next time. It's insanity. The insanity of the alcoholic That's the way I drank. And if you be alcoholic, that might be your situation, you know? And if that's true, aren't we all in such a safe place tonight? Not for ourselves, you know? <laughs> Not for ourselves, seriously. I mean, look, I'd be like, two minutes before I have to get to the podium, I'm terrified. But I'll tell you the truth, I don't mind it so much up here, you know? And so when Ryan asked me to do this, all right, fine. I'll, you know, uh, I don't really don't want to do it, but okay, fine. But you know, Al, Al, uh, Al signs. God, I love Al. Al actually stole a lot of Norm Alpy's stuff. So when you listen to Al, you can hear Norm. But Norm Alpy was this great AA speaker, right? He talked about seconds and inches. And uh, he just, he... If you ever have a chance to do some of these things, you know, you go online, you can find some of these great speakers like Norm Alpy. But he used to say, speakers are a dime a dozen. And I know that offends my friend Deborah Carmen because she speaks a lot, but they're a dime a dozen. He said, Norm Alpy said, but a good secretary for a meeting is hard to find. And hasn't Christy been a fantastic secretary for this meeting, right? And, and Norm also said, people who do their commitments and show up every week, they're so hard to find. Nick's here. Nick's the timer. He knows this. He knows that I'll go on until tomorrow and you'll all miss your presence. Open. <laughs> right? And that's so true. The people that show up and do the heavy lifting of Alcoholics Anonymous, not that we deserve a pat on the back because we showed up on Christmas Eve, but I'll tell you what. Whether you got 29 days or 32 years or almost 32 or 33 or whatever, or maybe you got, you know, whatever amount of time. Maybe we're all here for you. That's why I came out tonight. And I don't want to pat on the back. It's as simple as this. If you read the Little Red Book, which was written in Akron, it was the step study guide that they used before the 12 and 12. And in that book, it says the most important thing that happens to us is we have a personality change. That that's the spiritual awakening. 
And it took me forever to figure that out because I already told you I had this spiritual awakening on, uh, what's my sobriety date? February 12, 2002. And I had the spiritual awakening uh, on September 28th of 2004, right? About spiritual experience, right? Spiritual experiences. But those things aren't sustaining. Absolutely not sustaining. That can't carry me. That thing that happened, that voice can't carry me. What it may do is it may get me to the hospital. It may get me to the meeting or it may get me to the phone. That's what spiritual experiences do. They get us to the hospital. They get us to the uh, meeting and they get us to the phone, but they're not sustaining. What's sustaining is that personality change that happens if you've adopted the principles of this program, that it's more about you than it is about me, right? That it's more about you than it is about me. And that's the spiritual awakening that I got as a direct result of having worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous with Mitch. Is my whole attitude and outlook upon life changed because this man showed me how he was working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous with all these other people. And he told me and his actions demonstrated that if I showed up in meetings and I participated in the meeting and I got a commitment and I made sure that I was going to the meeting to make sure there was a meeting for everybody else instead of me coming into the meeting to take. I mean, I don't know. I can't even say it anymore. I can't say I really need a meeting today. I don't. But somebody else might. And that's the shift. That's the shift that I've had. And that's the shift that I think a lot of us in here right now have had. Because we showed up. Because we know that at some point, one of us may be in that dark, scary place. Right? Because it was March of 2018. I was driving down uh, either Alton or Barranca. And I'd gotten this little notice from the Internal Revenue Service. And I was already $350,000 into them by myself for 2008 and 2007, 2008. And without letting my second wife know, because well, you can have a conversation with anybody about this, I managed to get, allow us to accumulate another $400,000 in IRS debt. And I got a little notice. And it was an audit notice. And they hadn't been bothering me. I know people. I know somebody right now that over $10,000, a lousy $10,000, they had to go down and see a revenue officer at the, uh, at the ziggurat. I think it was at the ziggurat. He called, he was, he was afraid. And they hadn't done anything except me, no, sent me notices once a year telling me how much we owed. It was crazy. I'd get these notices from the social security administration telling me they were going to pay me pennies. And I'd get notices at the same month from the internal revenue service that said I owed them tens of thousands and I'd put them both in the same stack 
Not, you know, I'll get to that tomorrow. It's okay. It'll be different next time. It's okay. I'll get to it later. It'll be different next time. Chapter three, insanity. I got these notices year after year after year after year. I'll get to it next week. I'll get to it next time. Next time I file them, I'll make sure that I add the numbers up right. I'll make sure that I pay them. It's all going to be okay. Just insanity. And I'm driving down Barranca and I'm driving all, and I get this notice that says they actually want to look at the books and records. And I was thinking, I'm going to kill myself. I can't do this. I mean, it was real. I was picking out bridges. When I was in the Naval Reserve, I would drive over the uh, Coronado Bridge. And I thought, and I can see it. I can still see it. And when I'd go, uh, when I'd go to the San Pedro Courthouse, you go over the St. Thomas Vincent Bridge, and I could still see that one. And probably 1967, my sister and I were in the backseat of the station wagon going to see my uh, great aunt with our entire family. And Vicki and I were in the backseat and we watched a lady jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. And nobody believed us. Nobody in the family believed us. It was on the news that night. And I was just, I was horrified by the idea that this was my solution. And I was just suicidal ideation because I wasn't going to take a drink. Didn't have the courage, right? And I was driving down Altman or Barranca and I thought, God, that guy's had trouble. That guy, Mitch, he had trouble. He had financial trouble. And it was okay. He's still in the middle of it. And it's okay. It didn't work out perfect for him, but he didn't find it necessary to drink and he didn't find it necessary to kill himself. And so I called that man up, told him what was going on. Said, when's the last time you'd done a fear list? I'd never done a fear list. Said, I want you to, will you pull over? And on that day, Willingness met the absence of it one more time. And I think the idea, call Mitch, was probably a spiritual experience. Pulled the car over. He said, do you have a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper? I said, yes. He said, I want you to write down what you're afraid of. I want you to call me back. Will you do that? I said, yes. Yes, I will do that. Pulled the car over, got out the pen. She's going to leave. They're going to take the house. I'm going to lose my professional license. I'm going to go to prison. And worst of all, when I get out, nobody's going to like me. Called him up. I read it to him. And he said this. Is any of that going to happen by five o'clock? And I said, no. And he said, Let's just aim for midnight. And we've been doing that all along. All he wanted me to do is what we'd been doing all along. I'm going to uh, read 
this to you. Some of you should recognize it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to, pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. And that's all that Mitch wanted me to do was just take it one day at a time. Just take it one day at a time. No matter what my problems are, just take it one day at a time. And we got busy. We got busy. We got, we did that first step exercise I already talked about where we got down to, you know, the basics of it. Do I have that allergy where I take the drink, the drink takes the drink and I'm off and running to a blackout? Do I have that obsession that it's going to be different next time? He also talked to me about this idea of spiritual malady. That idea that I'm full of pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. That I'm full of selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, and fear. We talked about the nature of insanity in the context of the second step. With, uh, on, the, uh, on the third step, we talked about the idea of God as a, as, as a direction, as, as the basis for unconditional love for everyone else around me, right? And then we did this thing. We read the instructions for the fourth step, the resentment inventory, the fear list, and the nine questions that are set forth on page 69 of the book, right? And I know there are people here that have walked through that with me, that have, that have actually put the names down of every significant relationship they've ever been in and then answered the nine questions to see where they were at fault, where they were to blame. Not just the, the three-column resentment inventory that I did when I was new, where I looked at that thing and said, all these people are jerks and shut down the whole process. But actually doing what he asked me to do, because what Mitch said in the context of the resentment inventory, when I was done with those three columns, that I should draw a bold line and that I should say the sick man prayer for each one of those people so that I'd be divorced of any malice, ill will, or hatred that I have for them so I can see with clarity what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. And the next thing we did is we got on our, got on our knees, we clasped our hands on Laguna Canyon Road, and we said the third step prayer. Take away my difficulties that victory over them bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Those difficulties, it wasn't anything to do with the IRS, my first wife, second wife, the judge, the jury, any of those people. It was all about my defects of character and what needed to be changed in me because I was full of self. Then we got busy on that. Um, we got busy with the uh, amends process. I can tell you as I stand here today, that that million dollar tax debt as a result of good fortune and hard work is sitting right now at about $186,000. And we have a 72 month payment plan in place with them with no tax liens, no passport suspension, no automatic withdrawal. But what I'd been doing is I'd been paying them 
ever since I got hooked up with Mitch. And he said, you need to start making amends. And so I'd been paying him a little bit of money at a time. And so I'm sitting here, okay. Because you know what? All those fears that never materialized. I'm sleeping on a soft pillow. I got one minute. I want to read this. This is from the grapevine, December 1952. The first Christmas for AA was the depression year of 1935. There were three old timers to market, hardly a dozen newcomers to share it with them. In New York, Bill W. had 13 months since his last drink, seven months since his historic trip to Akron and the start of AA. Wilson recalls only a quiet day in New York, that Yule of 35, where there were very few involved. But in Akron, Dr. Bob and Bill D. were going on their second six months. Four recruits had from four months to two months. The Akron Six gathered with their families at Dr. Bob's. There was no ceremony, no exchange of presents. The 12 steps had not yet been formulated. The big book was only a vague stirring that would not even be in manuscript until three more Christmases had been achieved. But there was joy that this most dangerous of times for the alcoholic had arrived and 24 hours by 24 hours was being mastered. There was thanks, remembers one of the two who survives that first Akron Christmas, that we had come this far. However, I'm certain that there was still considerable fear and trembling not fear that this new way would not work, but doubt and uncertainty that we would be able to hold on to it. I'll tell you this, I don't come to Alcoholics, any, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous anymore to get a life beyond my wildest dreams. I come to Alcoholics Anonymous so when the new man or the new woman walks through that door, they can have a life beyond their wildest dreams. My name's Tim Ayersman, Alcoholic. Thanks for watching. <laughs>